Are you a woman who's wanting to get ahead? Well, did you know that there are some unexpected and hidden barriers that are stopping you from realizing your worth? And that's what we're going to be talking together today on this episode. You're listening to the Dynamic Women podcast. Each week, you'll be inspired by our global community of women. They'll share with you tools and stories to help you be dynamic in every area of life. He's your host, award-winning coach, and the CEO and founder of Dynamic Women, Diane Ralston. Hello, lovely ladies, and welcome to the Dynamic Women podcast. I'm Diane Ralston, your host. And today we have Commissioner Katie Ward with us. Hi, Katie. Hello, it's lovely to be here. Thank you. Yeah, so happy to have you because this is a topic that is passionate on my heart. And I know it's so important for our community and all the women. We're going to talk about women's worth, challenging the status quo. That's right. uh, can we can we do that in just one episode? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably a series. Yeah, we'll do our best. And the amazing thing is that this is what you do for a living. This is your calling. This is the purpose that you have. So why don't you why don't we start off? You tell us a little bit more about uh, who you are and what you do. Sure. Thank you. Um, currently, I'm commissioner and CAO of Ontario's Pay Equity Commission, and I'll talk about what we do at the commission. My background is international economic development, foreign affairs, and trade. And I started getting involved in getting women involved in global trade. So Canada, if you don't know, has a feminist international assistance policy. And a lot of work I was doing was sponsored by the government of Canada to get women in sort of labor markets, in economic development, and also into global trade. And that really uh, kind of put me on the path to being curious about how we do more of this, because it was obviously a challenge, not just here in Canada, but I mean, but globally. So I had an opportunity to work about 100 cities in 30 different countries doing types of different types of work, but also always with a focus on women and getting women into the economy and the labor market. So when I moved back to Ontario, it just seemed like a really great fit to move into the pay equity space and look more deeply at the issues or challenges women face in the labor market. And sort of that's realizing their economic potential. Yeah. Wow. Now, audience, I, I do have to point out a couple of things. Katie is super humble here. She has won the Queen's Diamond Jubilee medal. And also she's won the Gold Quill Award of Merit for Excellence in Government Communications. So Katie, tell us a little bit more about both of these really acknowledgements to your work. Sure. Yes. Yes. I, I, I don't, I don't like to brag, not even humble brag, but uh, <laughs> thank you for asking. Uh, yeah. The Queen's Diamond Jubilee was a really, really wonderful award to win. Um, I was nominated by colleagues in the economic development field and the specific category of that award was excellence in um, economic development for Canadian cities. So it was just recognizing the contributions I made to cities across Canada, growing mm-hmm. their, economies basically growing their local economic development outreach so that was a really wonderful wonderful medal to get yeah the gold quill is uh i'd say it's more of a team effort our team recently launched a it's a it's a podcast series but it's a campaign education campaign called level the paying field and we'll talk about that because there would never yeah well there would never be an uneven 
playing field, right? Like you just wouldn't go and see a, a uh, you know, soccer pitch tilted in favor of one team. And so, but that's how it is. That's how the labor market is. It is tilted in favor of, of a certain gender. So uh, that was a campaign we ran and it, it was recognized uh, by this International Association of Business Communicators. And that was a really wonderful affirmation that our team is doing great work. And that as a leader, you know, I'm, I'm pushing the organization in the right direction to be doing this type of outreach that's going to help women understand their worth and ultimately level the, the paying field. Yeah, amazing. And also, I wanted you Thank to you. talk about those is because we don't always see women achieving or hear of them achieving really right. greatness. And we I want there to be maybe some of this will spark in someone who's listening to this will spark yeah. in them that like, cool, maybe I could get that. Or maybe uh, it'll also spark someone nominating a woman for one of these awards moving forward. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So, you know, I'd love to be educated here a little bit more about what yeah. is the pay equity office and maybe yeah. you can tell more a little bit about the role of the office that it has in women's work. And as we're sure. talking about women's worth. Right. Well, the Pay Equity Office is an agency of the government of Ontario. Um, Ontario was the first government globally, believe it or not, to have a Pay Equity Act. And Pay Equity looks at a specific idea called equal pay for work of equal value. So a lot of governments cover equal pay for equal work. So if men and women or any person identified as any gender is working on a um a manufacturing line and they're moving widgets down the line, they're doing the same work. So they have to be paid the same amount of money. Yes. What pay equity does is says, listen, women have historically been clustered in certain types of jobs and those jobs were undervalued because they were held by women. So we need to look at value for value comparisons. So how do we say that a janitor, which is typically male dominated uh, in the school provides more value than a secretary that is particularly, they're typically female dominated. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a gender neutral job comparison comparison system where we actually look at gender neutral criteria. It's a it's pretty complex regression analysis, but yeah. we go through it and we show that if jobs have equal value, but they're paid differently because there's a gendered predominance of certain job classes, yeah. then then companies are, are are forced to to correct that. And in fact, every company in Ontario has to have a pay equity plan. So it's quite robust. Our office administers that just because I know you are, you're at least Canada wide. There are other provinces that have a pay equity act. Uh, Quebec has one PEI and Nova Scotia, but theirs is more focused on um, private, sorry, public sector, not private. Um, Newfoundland is in the process of creating one. So there's different ways of addressing inequity in pay. Uh, Pay Equity Act is a very strong statement, uh, but it could also be covered under human rights or different labor codes throughout Mm. Canada. So most provinces, I would say every province has some kind of tool to address address pay inequity. Yeah. And I'm I'm glad this is coming up because we hear a lot about equality in the number of women in certain roles in certain industries. But to know that there's people there are people like you fighting for us to actually get the same amount of pay, even if we're in a mainly female dominated industry. I know I've speak, spoken for early childhood educators. That's like 95% female when I've been there. So to know that there's that happening by the government is is really good. Now, if we can switch to, I want to, if you can share your insights on how we got here. Sure. 
It's a good and question. Then, um, and then I'm I'm curious about the challenges that keep women out or down in the labor force. There's maybe two questions there you can tackle. No, I love it because they they're they're interrelated, and I think this is the biggest point that is missed by policymakers or people who are in this equity space when they're trying to think about how to be correct this or level this. Mm. Um, is they is they forget how entrenched these sort of systems are. So I mean, for me to talk to you about how did we get here, I would actually take you you know back eight to ten thousand years to the sort of agricultural revolution. And there's a great author, mm. Dr. Deborah Spar. She's written a lot about this. And she has a, a famous quote that says, patriarchy began with the plow. And she goes into a really interesting anthropological history about technology and agriculture and farming and how yeah. when we were, and, and uh, you know, I'll start there, but I'll, I'll skip a couple of centuries so we can, <laughs> we can have a decent conversation. Good. <laughs> but with the invention of the plow, our whole lifestyle, our whole cultural change. And before the plow, anthropologists have have recognized that women were, 50% economic contributors to their nomadic tribes. What mm. that means is the primary economic activity of these tribes is gathering food because that's that's how they survived. They moved around to gather food with seasons, right? So yeah. women contributed 50% of that. There was a sort of economic equality in what was contributed. And there was a, a vital, important role that that both played. When you move into an agricultural setting, what you're doing is you're you're stopping, you're setting down and you're you're working the land. And so all of a sudden land ownership becomes really important because if you're pouring your labor into it, you want to make sure that you're going to get the harvest. So a couple of things happen here. One, the creation of private property, all of this interesting stuff, but around gender and women and labor, women become really important because they're producing labor. It sounds really crude to say, but the only way of getting labor back then was to produce it through childbearing or to steal it. And sadly, this is where slavery often emerges, right? Yeah. But the strangest thing happens because women are creating life values, super powerful, incredible thing that women can do. But somehow during this process, they're subjugated and controlled because you want to control those reproductive rights because you need to show that that child is yours because they're going to inherit the land and they're going to continue to own it after you. So there's a really interesting shift that happens when we start to settle and become an agricultural society around gender and gender norms and structures. So I could say a lot more there, but I'm going to skip to the industrial revolution because we (laughs) we don't have a lot of time. And I would say that for, you know, pretty much thousands of years, the structure kind of stayed the same, even though societies and things change, we still kind of had this agrarian economy. We had mercantile class rise up that were doing trade and things like that. And we had surfed up all these interesting things happen, but really that gendered dynamic of women producing labor and staying home and being sort of docile stayed until really the industrial revolution. And what's interesting about the industrial revolution is up until that, there's a great quote that says up until the industrial revolution, a woman's place was in the home, but so was everyone else's. The home was the primary economic unit right? There's a farm, there's a farming family, you were in a community, you went to local markets to trade. What happens though, is with industrialization, jobs are created outside the home. And in fact, it was primarily women and children that worked in, in these manufacturing plants. Now we know they weren't great working conditions. It was pretty awful. There was a lot of advocacy around getting, especially children and protecting children. But what ends up happening is this is a paid labor market and men go, better jobs. That's a better job. 
my wife or my sister is leaving the house and going to the factory and getting paid. And I'm working the land and I'm farming and it's so much blood, sweat and tears. I'm trading something at the market. So as you know, this dynamic starts to change and the better jobs are emerging in the industrialized spaces and uh, the machinery becomes more difficult and things are changing. Men start to become the more dominant labor force and women stay home and start to take care of the hearth and the home because they still, it's still, if you're not living in a city, you still have to manage some kind of, you know, homestead. Yes. So there's this unequal right there distribution, but when women, women were always in the labor market. I think we need to recognize this. They were always in the yes. labor market at, at some point if they were uh, caring for children or the home or doing types of domestic work that women have been clustered into. But what happens is primarily only unmarried women labor enter the labor market, the paid labor market. And I yeah. say paid labor market because women have always worked. If it was at the home, it was still work. It wasn't paid in the labor markets sort yeah. of but it's, it's, it's labor. We know that as, as, as I have two jobs, I have my business and then I'm a mom of two. Exactly. So it's like, it's labor. So I I say paid labor market to bring attention to the fact that's how much unpaid labor every, mostly women do, but it was unmarried women that were in the labor market because social conventions at the time really didn't allow for married women to work. And here's, what's really interesting. And this is a sort of like, here's where it really Here's where, you know, it started with the agricultural revolution, but here's where it gets interesting is there were laws and policies that prescribed the type of work women could do. And these are all men making the laws. And Mm -hmm. the salaries were also set lower than men's because they believed that women were not breadwinners. They didn't need to take care of a family. So they didn't need to make as much money as men, which I'm pretty sure that, you know, the... 18th, 19th century, there were single moms out there, but the employer labor market wouldn't recognize that. So that's a really important piece, I think, for women to recognize and policymakers to recognize that from the beginning, the labor market never had equal access. There were jobs that women were prescribed that only women could do because of their sensibilities or whatever. And then their salaries were set lower from the beginning because of social constructs about women's worth and women's values. So, you know, that's, that shifted with war. World War One, World War Two, massive amounts of men leave, and what what happens? Women go to work, and women do the same jobs that men were yep. doing, right? Like we we know Rosie the Riveter, it's the famous. So we have this interesting moment in history where women are working and they're doing men's work, and they're they they love it. And in fact, the governments in Canada and the U.S. they pay for childcare and they. <laughs> state-sponsored childcare and all these wonderful uh, supports, but the men come back from war and they need jobs. So they send women home. And this is actually where, you know, the kind of very strong wave of feminism begins because women go, wait a minute. (laughs) We like, why do I have to go back home? Yeah. So this is where that, that kind of wheel starts turning. And this is where it starts to get interesting and things speed up for women and equality and equity conversations because women start to demand equal pay for equal work. That first idea saying, well, we're both on the line moving widgets. Why aren't we getting paid the same? Exactly. But those demands start to change and governments respond, by the way, with policy that addresses that. But um, but then women start to say, wait a minute, it's it's not just equal pay for equal work. They bring in the concept of equal value, which I explained at the beginning mm-hmm. where we're doing different work, but that's because the policies shaped the type of work we can do. We yeah. could do historically now, if that's changing now, 
but we're doing different work, but that work is not valued fairly. And so the argument shifted in that direction. And I think this is where we're at today to kind of bring it home is that we're at that space where we're saying, wait a minute, the, the, the historic clustering is starting to fall apart. You see more women entering, say, applied sciences, like mathematics, yeah. engineering, uh, even skilled trades. And you see that sort of historical uh, clustering start to fall apart and, and that's affecting the wage sort of discrimination. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also seeing the conversation saying, well, but just because women were clustered in, say, clerical work or care work or cashiering or these types of very service-driven um, jobs, we we shouldn't be undervaluing those. We should recognize the value they bring to an organization and to the economy. So this is where we're at today is, is, is kind of challenging those norms of or at least recognizing like, hey, it was never level to begin with. So we have to restructure the way that we actually yeah. approach approach talking about women's contributions to the economy. Yeah. So audience, have you heard that a lot of these worth things aren't even our fault because they were put in there in the beginning? Well, I love that. I'm going to jump in on that because (laughs) even with the gender wage gap, a lot of the explanations we hear are, you know, well, women don't negotiate. Women take more time off for maternity leave. Women don't apply for the, the jobs, blah, blah, blah. And it puts the problem back on women. Like it's your fault. Be better, and do more. Exactly. And I like to, that's just myth bust that because in fact, women do actually negotiate. They just don't get the raises. <laughs> and it's actually, they're seen as norm breakers because women are supposed to be uh, agreeable and all of these things. So that's just not true. And the problem is not with women's behavior in the labor market. The problem is that the labor market, you know, has these sort of historical policies and structures that are very hard to break. I mean, they're, they're, they're changing. It takes time, but it also, I think women need to recognize that, you know, we've always been there. It's just, we haven't valued the worth. I'm hoping that we have some people listening to this who have their own workplaces that they run or who can share this with someone, because I'd love to know what do workplaces need to do to close the pay gap? And as I love to ask my guests, can you please share some concrete solutions, practical examples that will work to really level that playing field or the paying field, as you call it? (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. Well, for people who are listening, who, who run a business, who are senior managers, who are in HR, not, you don't even have to be in HR, just any type of management position, you can do a pay equity audit on your organization. And I would direct people to the Ontario Pay Equity Office website. We have a toolkit. It's DIY. You can do it yourself. Uh, It goes through the seven steps. It's a pretty complex process, but we make it very easy. You plug and play numbers and we figure it out for you. So that's a really concrete thing you can do is just do a pay equity audit and see if you have unconscious pay discrimination. Because what we find is when we talk to businesses, we do the audits they see the pay discrimination, it's uncon- like often it's unconscious. They go, oh my God, wow. because it's just the social norms, right? Of like, well, yeah. we, we can offer women lower because they'll say yes, or we can do these things. So that's a great exercise that people can take away from uh, this and, and do it or bring it to their leadership team if, if you're not in a position to do it yourself. Yeah. The other thing can is- I, Can we, I just ask we, first, this, you said it's on the Ontario site, but anyone from Canada, from the state, any country can benefit from doing this because it's, it's really plugging in the numbers and, and getting the feedback, right? 
Absolutely. Okay. Anybody okay. can use the tool or, okay. or walk through the steps. It's not, it's, it's specific to our process, but you it's, it's a pay equity analysis. So it's, okay. it's useful. Great, great, great. question. Um, you know, we know that closing the gender wage gap, for instance, is linked to just closing broader gender gaps. And when I, mm-hmm. what I mean by broader gender gaps is participation, more women in the labor market or more a diversity, be that sort of intersectional or just plain uh, gender diversity. Yeah, yeah. We know that the, we see massive impacts to, to the bottom line to companies when they have this type of, I'm sure you've, you've covered this in, in multiple different podcasts. I don't need to get into it, but you know, look at and challenge the way that you treat diversity mm-hmm. as an organization mm-hmm. and bringing diversity of thought to the table, not just sometimes we get kind of, you know, t- fall into tokenism of making sure we have certain, um, yes. One of this nationality, yes. one of this age range or. Yes. Yeah. No, it's diversity of, of thought that we need to think about people yeah. who've had different yeah. experiences that we bring uh, to the table. And I, I would say, you know, in general, start challenging the status quo, Char- start interrupting sexism. When you hear somebody in your workplace say something that's just like not appropriate or it's sexist or it's offensive to you, like speak up in a polite way. This doesn't have to be confrontational. It could be, oh, hey, did you realize that that's sort of like, you know, just because I think we need to have that conversation. And it's stuff like I've been in boardrooms where, you know, people, men will comment on like, oh, your lipstick matches your outfit. Like, fine. I love wearing makeup and dressing up. But what's more important is what I'm adding to the conversation, not necessarily my lipstick. And they would never do that to a male or they would never call a male darling, cutie, sweetie pie, dear you pass me the the <laughs> clicker, dear. Like they would never do that. So just to say, like, oh, usually by the way, I respond with, oh, sure, kitten, and then they look a little embarrassed and they stop. So it's it's just challenging the status quo like that. In polite, like for me, my tactic is kind of polite, calling it out friendly ways, uh, so people can can learn and see. Because I think in many of these cases, it's not always intentional. I don't think people set out to be. Not everybody sets out to be really crude about this. So I think if you approach it in a, in a way that's just seeking to raise awareness, uh, you can make a lot of positive change. Yeah. I like that you come at it from an informative, uh, kind, sometimes humorous way. Yeah. People don't need to be put on the chopping block for things. And a lot of times it, it's lack of education and we're changing generational uh, ideas and thoughts and what's been passed down to them. So I love, exactly. I love your approach to this and that it's not just for the owner. There are things that everyone listening to this can do in their workspace, in the boardroom, mm-hmm. even if they're running their own business in their business meetings with others, there are things that you've just shared that they can do, which is Absolutely. great. Absolutely. Yeah. So Wonderful. final thoughts here, Katie, I know we've covered a lot of ground, but what's your yes. final message to those um, here today? Final message, I'm going to share a really short anecdotal story that makes a point. When I was working in economic development, I had the chance to work with the team that led the Bryant Park restoration in New York City. It's a park downtown, and it was a really squalid, crime-ridden park that, you know, after hundreds of millions of investment finally turned. And I said, what was the turning point for the team? Mm -hmm. And the team answered, women. When women made up at least 55 or more percent of park patronage, crime dropped and cleanliness increased. And so it really was a powerful message for me to say, like, just women's presence makes a difference. When a woman walks her child through that park, she's signaling to all the other women, it's safe. 
you belong here and it, you, it, it's a, it's a safe spot for your family and for you to be. And I think that's just so powerful to say women like be present, just your presence actually changes what's happening around you. And I think when you step into the consciousness of that, like, Hey, I'm here and I'm affecting what's happening around me. You step more into, into your worth and you understand the value that you bring. Exactly. So everyone, where are you going to take up space and be more present in your life? And that's also going to increase your worth, put other ladies in the position to be there and then increase their worth as well. I love it. Thank you so much, Katie, for sharing with us today, for all your knowledge, for the generous offering of mentorship or career conversation that you're that you're giving others and uh, just continue to do the great work that you're doing. I, I really I really appreciate that we have amazing, powerful women out there doing this work because it's, it's not what I'm doing. So I appreciate that you're doing it in your own way. Uh, thank well, you. Thank so you so much. And thank you for bringing together a community of, of dynamic women. Thank you. So for all of you who are listening, now is the time to hit the share button. Share this powerful episode with those around you, with your workplace, with other women in your life, so that they get to hear the messages that Katie was sharing today. And the education, I got educated today as well. And also, if you haven't yet, hit subscribe because you don't want to miss out on future solo episodes for me or when I bring in other powerful, dynamic women to be our guests. And if you haven't written a review yet, now's your time. One other place that I love to be with Dynamic Women is the online Facebook group, the community, Dynamic Women online community. So search us out and join. It's free. And that's where we get to keep the conversation going. Until next time, everyone, stay dynamic. Bye. Thank you, Dynamic Women, for joining us today. Please hop on over to iTunes to subscribe and leave us a review. Who do you know who needs to hear our message? We'd love it if you'd share our channel with your friends and family. If you're ready to be more dynamic, have more balance and more success, head over to www.dynamicwomenclub.com forward slash free gift for your key to success book. Stay dynamic.